0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is your host, Michael Carey, today, and I have an incredible guest, Jason Martinkas, today. Jason is a counselor and an author with with all the books and the workshops and, and the incredible resources that he has. He said, I am just a regular Joe trying to work a recovery program. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So Worthy of Her Trust is the book that we're going to focus on today, and, and it's just an incredible resource that I think all guys need to – We men and women alike really need to read this book, guys that are um, involved in unwanted sexual behavior and, and um, you know, they have broken trust in their marriage or their relationship with the fiance, girlfriend, whatever, you know, this uh, – such, such an incredible resource. Could you give us a glimpse of, like, what is – what it look like writing this book and how did you come to write this book?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in our story, um, you know, somewhere in like year two of our process um, and for folks that don't know our story, you know, there's pornography and masturbation and serial adultery and, you know, fill in the blank. Um, but in a couple of years into our story, <clears throat> I, I remember sitting there going, OK, we're not in crisis anymore you know, the, the the fire is out, It's still smoldering, but you know, it's not an inferno now. And so the crisis is has settled. But there's still urgency to like, how do I move forward? How do I build trust? How do I? How do we keep going? And, and I remember at that time, just going like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I'm willing. But I'm ignorant. I just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I thought to myself back then, like, if we make it through this, I'm going to write something about this. Um, so fast forward, it was probably at the, I don't know, it was probably 12 years, 11 or 12 years into our recovery that the, the question, at that point, we're, we're in ministry and, and, you know, trying to help people on a day in and day out basis. And the, the, the question that was on repeat, how do I ever trust again? How do I rebuild trust? And then I've got in the back of my mind from our story, like I was asking the same question. And so I just, I, at that point, I'm like, you know what? I got to write something about this. I got to give the guys some tools, some handholds. And in my office, I'm, I keep telling these guys, here's what you do. Don't do what I did because yeah. I blew it up this way. You know, I made all of these mistakes. So bypass my mistakes and, and mm-hmm. do it this way. And so that's what the, the book was born out of. There's got to be some kind of manual, some kind of handholds hand to know, like, what does it look like? And what are the pitfalls to bypass that
0: kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of one of those things, like, uh, I wish I would have known this in the beginning. So I'm I'm going to write the book on this. And and um, so, yeah, in your counseling office, the guys that, uh, that you see on a regular basis, which is uh, in Denver area, right? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, today we, you know, we operate on a coaching model, not a counseling model, and we have clients, you know, around the world today.
0: Oh, cool. Okay, that's great. Um, good to know. Yeah. yeah, the coaching model can uh, cross state lines and different, yeah geographies, so that's beautiful. And
1: philosophically, too, this is a whole different conversation, but philosophically, too, we've operated on a coaching model since day one, where so much of, and this is part of my story, is like in the beginning, I needed to do some deep work, you know, heart work and, and some family work and all of that kind of stuff. But I also needed somebody to help me to coach me in the day-to-day. Like it's what do I do on Thursday afternoon? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's some of the stuff that I need. And so that's more the ethos of what we do is there's some of that historical work, but there's also a lot of focus on where, where are we going today? What do we need today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. so yes crosses lines but it's also an ethos thing too
0: yeah whole,
1: yeah. Other, whole other conversation whole other podcast, <laughs> right?
0: yeah. yes but an excellent resource that i think that our listeners need to take advantage of um which we'll we'll definitely share some of those links and stuff in the description and uh talk about in the end of the interview here but i uh, wanted to um talk about chapter one and i think that there's so many guys out there that that could benefit from this conversation you know that um you know, maybe they could be inspired to to pick up this book and to to engage because of this you know the feelings of hopelessness how many guys assume you know if my wife really knew if she knew all of this she would divorce me. I call that the uh, mind reader and the fortune teller, you know, like they they can read her mind if she knew this and then tell the future. She's going to do this. And it's it is amazing. Now yes, sometimes that does happen, sometimes it ends in divorce. However, I've seen so many marriages actually survive oh. remarkably, mir- miraculously survive. Um so yeah. What would you, uh, could you give a little, little insight from that chapter? What did that, what, what was that about? This feeling of hopelessness, like how many guys throw in the towel prematurely? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That uh, I agree with you completely. And you've seen this in your experience and walking with people. Most of the time, the truth being told doesn't result in in divorce. You know, it's actually very, very rare uh, that, that in my that what I see, at least experientially, it's very rare that it ends in divorce if somebody is willing to humbly and contritely just tell the whole truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that hopelessness and despair. And there's the, you know, in my own story, too, there's that reality that if this comes out, if the truth is out, if she actually knows, she'll leave. But I also, like, what will it say about me if that gets real? I already feel like a monster. I already mm-hmm. feel embarrassed and chained. And so what will will that stamp the final you know rejection on me? That that's some of the emotional stuff that was going on. Um Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of guys though they miss and and you and I were talking about this before you hit record that I wish I would have written more and maybe maybe 2.0 maybe there'll be a 2.0 I wish Mm I'd have written about the heart behind this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the heart behind telling the truth and, and coming clean and actually moving into a space where you give yourself a chance to be free. Mm. Like there's so there's so it's hard to even articulate. I mean, you know, you know, it experientially, there's, it's hard to even articulate, like, when you, when you give yourself the chance to actually find freedom, because you're not going to hold any more secrets, you're not going to sit on anything else, you're just finally going to be open and pull back the curtain mm-hmm. something changes in that place you know something changes in our own story and when that changes in, our, in like within ourselves it actually changes something in our wives too mm. it gives them more hope not less hope
0: mm. and then
1: when you see their hope it also gives you hope
0: Does that make sense yeah chain reaction right
1: Chain reaction it's a good way to put it
0: yeah for yeah. sure yeah, that is so true. When, when you get to that place where you've disclosed everything and you have no more secrets, right? And and we're not talking about you know renting a billboard or something and say you right. know I've I hired a prostitute or whatever like that. You're just talking about one person, two people, a counselor, your wife, right? The um, freedom, tasting that freedom, it just it it does change you. You look in the mirror and for the first time you see a man who has come clean and been honest. Whereas every time you looked in the mirror before you see a liar, you see, you know, all the shame that just keeps, um, cultivating inside, which just leads to more acting out and unwanted sexual behavior anyway. I mean, the shame is the, the root of so much of it. So, yeah, it's just, um, and that's what i tell guys all day long like you you know you you have to disclose everything you know at some at some point and um i think for the most part i and we haven't talked about this before but i i would think you might agree the best place to disclose everything is in the counselor's office or or in the in the context of a coaching session or a model where there's a professional involved right yep. yeah yep. what is your take um, on that
1: yeah my take on that is um it is imp- in my opinion it is a wife's prerogative mm. it's a wife's prerogative so if we're if if you as a husband you know that there's a story to tell and you can go plug in at a counselor's office or coach's office and actually get some of the background work and do it formally and through the process and yes and there are some wives who this friday afternoon she's going to go you're lying tell me the story. Mm -hmm. You're going to go, okay, hold on. But our counselor and we can, and it's going to be formal. And, and, and she's going to go, tell me the story. Mm -hmm. And my, my prerogative is her prerogative. She needs to know on Friday afternoon. Looks like our Friday afternoon is disclosure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I also with, um, I didn't know we're going to be talking a lot about disclosure. I thought more about it. Um, I, here's the other thing with disclosure that comes up for me is for so many um, counselors, and, and I don't want to, um, this isn't being uh, negative on counselors. Um, some, for so many counselors, their concept of disclosure is like, this is D-Day. This is Devastation Day you know, there's going to be bloodshed, you know, I'm seeing the swords back there on your wall. It's going to be, you know, and that's the way they paint it to their clients is it's going to be this, the day when the train wreck happens kind of thing. And I actually see more wives who, Mm -hmm. yes, it's devastating. There's no doubt. Yeah. But for most wives, there's there's also relief in knowing I finally know the story of my life. Yes. Yes. I actually am getting some of my dignity back today because there are no more secrets. Mhm. You know. Yeah, and have all to the, in the train wreck.
0: Right? And all of those hunches that they had that something was off, something was going on, right. you know, are validated and yeah, for sure. Yeah. For for couples that make it, it's a milestone. For couples that that stick together and and that they uh reconcile, um it's the worst day of their life and the best day of their life at the same time, right? Exactly
1: right. So,
0: yeah, yeah. devastation day. Um, yeah, it might feel like that, <laughs> but uh, that's exactly what I've seen. What you're describing too, and and I agree totally. You know, it should be her choice. Um, now, I know, you know, we and we we talk a lot about gender and and so on. I just felt like I should mention this. Um, uh, there are many cases where the table is flipped and the woman has had an affair and the man is experiencing that, that betrayal as well. And, um, it's, uh, it, it is more rare, or at least I, you know, it seems like it is with the amount of people that come for help, uh, that I've seen. But, um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know that there are some listeners and, and, um, that is a reality. Some, some guys listen to this podcast, Um, you know, if we, uh, we talk about those pronouns and stuff, uh, you could just reverse that and put yourself, you know, in, in the wife, I mean, you know, in, in the shoes of the the person that was betrayed, the partner, uh, is what a lot of professionals call it. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that, uh, and and I think a lot of your book can really be, um, you know, you can, you can change out wife and put in partner and it can, you know, husband instead his wife and he is she whatever you know flip it around I think that there's a lot of really great stuff that uh, um, that that um, situation could benefit from in this book so um, yeah I wanted to get into this next question and there's um, there's several different parts I love how you broke broke the uh, the sections apart in your book here this part one is called debunking the myths Right. So when I was reading through this and uh, looking at what we could discuss, there were three of the eight that just stood out to me. Uh, they're all great. Um, all, all of the myths that you mentioned, these eight, but there are just three that I thought um, I would love for you to, to to talk about. The first one is time heals all wounds. Like, can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a common refrain that you hear in our culture, you know, is time heals wounds. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that whenever I started writing the book, you know, I would hear people in the office, a lot of, a lot of uh, husbands especially would say, you know, well, hopefully with time, things will get better. And it's like, yeah, well, just the passing of time itself doesn't heal anything. We all have wounds in our life that time has not healed. We forget about them. They fade to the back and then something activates them and the pain is right back, you know, Time doesn't heal the wounds, but actually, the work we do in the time is what heals the wounds. And I think for um, for a lot of guys, and this is just again, you you mentioned the tables being turned. So all of my work in our office in our practice is um, with husbands who have who have betrayed their wives. So right. we don't we don't actually do it the other way around in our office. Um, we refer out if it's if the tables are turned. Um, so everything that I'm saying is kind of like with the husband as the betrayer. Um, the uh, yeah, so back to that idea. I think in some ways for for guys, the idea that you know, passing of time will, the memories will fade, et cetera. you know, there's some truth to that. but man, the time is just the space and context within which our work happens, and it's the work that makes the difference.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Exactly. I think, um, yeah, I was just thinking in so, so many um, wives and, you know, couples that uh, ask about the the images that he saw and uh, do they ever fade away? Do they ever go away? And I think in um, my experience and and uh, people that I've talked to, um, that's the one thing that time does. <laughs> the images stop popping into your head. Uh, you You don't remember a lot of the stuff that you looked at and so on. But um, wounds take work, they take effort, you know, Um, if you were in a car accident, and you were bleeding, you know, the ambulance is going to come and you might need to go to the hospital, you need to be taken care of, there's work that needs to be done for sure. So, yeah, exactly. And um, this is another common myth that uh, you mentioned in the book, more or different sex will curb his unwanted sexual behavior can you tell us about that?
1: That's a, that's a painful one. That, that one was specifically, I put that in there specifically because that was my story is convincing my wife that our issues were her fault. And that my, at that time I was lying about my infidelity and was, was convincing her that I almost have cheated and it's your fault. And so if you would have more sex and different sex and, you know, those kinds of things, then it would fix, it would fix things. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, and instead what, what happened for me and what I see so often in the office is, I just made her my, the object of my addiction. You know, she just became the pornography. She just came, became the mistress, you know? Yeah. Um, she just became another affair partner. And, and the, the, the tragedy of that, at least in our story, um, and I'm sorry, I've been, I've been processing a bunch of stuff in my own world lately. And so there's kind of, there's some rawness uh, coming mm-hmm. into today. Um, sure. The tragedy of that is like, she, I just took her dignity. I mean, mm-hmm. she, she tried so hard to be a good wife and just like serve and, and be sexual and change the way she looked and talked and like, she, booked us a trip to vegas because we were gonna go have a good time and just like mm. she's lost herself mm-hmm. and so much of it was driven by me trying to convince her that her being a different kind of woman and that coming to bear in our sexuality would fix things and fix me mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't it just makes a wife more and more desperate and more and more hopeless and it shreds their dignity
0: yeah yeah Yeah. for sure yeah yeah and and i appreciate the emotion man i mean it's you know really really seeing that and uh knowing where where shelly is at now um i'm sure it's a R- really really interesting how how the story unfolds and everything and and uh her incredible ministry which is uh another podcast and yeah, yeah i will have to ask kristen to have shelly on our podcast sometime that would be awesome to cool. to look at that but um there are just ladies, what she's
1: you... uh, oh, oh, sorry
0: ahead. yeah i was just gonna say i think that there's so many women listening to this podcast that are really going to benefit from hearing that you know um because they've been through that they're doing the things that you're you're saying happen in your marriage and and uh yeah they need to know that it isn't their fault
1: yeah i there, i was going to say a second ago in some ways you know so we're 18 and a half years later so we're, we're 18 and a half years into recovery um with, with no acting out by the grace of god um but man they're just there are different days and different seasons where parts of our story hit me different, you know, and when I, when I retrace what happened, and that's one thing that doesn't seem to change. When I think about how she lost herself in the middle of my acting out, that, that stings and, you know, give me 18 more years and maybe it won't, but <laughs> it's that stings. Yeah. Any yeah. you are going to your next question. Sorry. There you go. No,
0: that's, um, yeah, I think uh, this this next question really really does echo um, and and the other myth echoes that and so helpful for women listeners too that uh, have, you know that the, they're the betrayed. the trust that trust will be restored when she decides to forgive. And this um, that's huge. I mean we could do an entire podcast just about that because there are so many um, pastors, churches, you know, well-meaning individuals that think that they understand because, uh, but but they, you know, it's one of those things, you, you can't have empathy in this situation and really understand what it takes to forgive unless you've gone through this, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd love for you to take it from there and comment. Trust will be, be restored. This is debunking debunking the myth. In part one, trust will be restored when she decides to forgive.
1: Um, I appreciate what you said and the language that you use there. Well-meaning folks, pastors, friends, counselors, you know, mentors, sponsors, well-meaning, well-intentioned folks who are believers in the Bible will say, you just got to forgive him." And mm-hmm. they don't understand the harm that they're doing in that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I appreciate the language that you use there. Um, that, that was that was part of our story, too. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sit in the, in the place personally where I'm, I go, the forgiveness journey, what I've learned from Shelly, the forgiveness journey is so unique to every woman based on her whole story. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what comes to bear and and you know this on the backside of sexual betrayal, what comes to bear is all the wounds from that man and from when they were married and when they were dating and when they were engaged and the wounds from her first husband and the wounds from her first date and the wounds from her father. And, you know, all of that stuff comes to bear. And so the forgiveness process, which is kind of wrapped up in the grief process for wives Mm -hmm who am i to judge how fast or how intentionally or how biblically she is forgiving mm-hmm. like that's between her and jesus and and there's a there's also this implicit thing that happens in there that is the, and and we don't say this this way but this is how it lives When you forgive, you'll also quit bringing it up and quit being angry, and this Mm. the past will become the past, right? And it's like, man, the, the the whole grieving process and the forgiveness process, like that's something that's her and God and the Spirit working in her spirit, and and it's also iterative. She may go through and forgive you after a week. And then she may need to forgive you again next week. And Mm -hmm. forgiveness isn't what builds trust, right? The work that we do builds trust. Mm -hmm. Her process of forgiveness, that's between her and Jesus. I just try to stay out of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, While you were talking, I was just thinking about, um, like my, my late father, I mean, he had heart disease when he had, Uh, Bypass surgery, and he came out and I saw the scar on his chest, right? I mean, every time he takes his shirt off and looks in the mirror, he sees that scar, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, he's healed his, uh, he's, he's hopefully not going to have, you know, heart attacks and stuff might might be a thing in the past, but he still has to see that scar, right? Yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of the way it is. I mean, they have to live with it. It's, it's a new, it's a new thing that they, it's a new story, a new narrative in their life that they'd have to live with and a a scar that they have to live with. So yeah, I'm never going to bring it up again is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, That's that's the guy talking out of his own shame because he doesn't want to experience the shame that he's going to feel again when she brings it up, you know, and that's, so that's controlling. That's not helpful. That's not the way forgiveness works. Right.
1: And, and people will say, you know, forgive and forget, right? Like God has got to forgive and forget. God says, he'll remember our sins no more. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I go, if God were God to forgive and forget, we wouldn't have a Bible because mm. the Bible is yeah. a record of wrongs partially. Right. It's like God doesn't. How can an omniscient God forget?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He can't. He doesn't. He doesn't hold it over our head. He doesn't bring it up. He's not beating us up with it. That kind of thing. Right. Our sins are separated from us in Christ. But that isn't it's not a forgive and forget thing. It's not a forgive and it never is influencing our life again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of for a lot of wives, they're told forgive, forget. Once you do that, then y'all will actually find healing. And mm-hmm. that's just be traumatizing for a wife. Uh, insulting.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and you brought up another interesting point too, with when you were talking about her past, you know, her past, you know, marriage, her past um, boyfriend, father, you know, the, all, all the wounds and stuff that uh, are incorporated in, I I just wanted to caution guys, you know, if there's any listeners, just, um, you know, we need, we need to understand, don't use that against her either, you know? Oh, you're just reacting because of your father. Yeah. I mean, I think our job as husbands is to minister to the whole of her brokenness, all of it, and to love her well, you know so so that father wound became part of your responsibility too, brother, to help her work through that. And what does that look like? So it isn't a judgment, hey, you just need to go deal with that. <laughs> and it's um, the the craziness of of what shame. and and I can I can speak to that because I know what it feels like. To have that kind of shame from my own story, you know, the kind of shame. And that's uh, that that wants to just control so that I don't feel that I don't have to feel the shame anymore. And and that's not helpful. That is not building trust at all, is it? Um, Totally. Well, in part two of uh, Worthy for Trust, you, you discuss 11 non-negotiables. And um, this is this is awesome stuff the 11 non-negotiables of trust building. And so I pulled out three that I'd love for you to, to talk about. We were touching on a couple of these already, but uh, the first one, of course, is honesty. It has to start there. Can you comment on on that?
1: Yeah, radical honesty. Just a, a mindset and a heart attitude towards radical honesty. Um, that you're not going to sit on secrets, that you're not going to um, shade anything that you're actually going to be dealing in details, um, radical honesty about every area of life from the groceries to the money, to the sexual story, you know, to the kids, to work across the board, radical honesty. And, and for wives, they, you know, the radar, the, the spider sense is really strong, you know, for most wives. And so mm. they, they sense when something's off, they sense when they're shaded truth And it just makes them feel crazy when you when you deny it, you know, Mm. Um, so radical honesty, if you want to rebuild trust, seeing radical honesty is just foundational for a life. Mm -hmm. And and for us too, like for our own recovery process. Yeah. When in our addiction or in our, our, like, like you said, unwanted sexual behavior, so much of that is shrouded in half truths and lies to other people and to ourselves. Yeah. Well, our own recovery depends on radical honesty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Falls into that, um, the the idea of feeling free, the freedom, you know, when everything's out in the open. Yeah. So another one you mentioned non-negotiable is accountability. Um, and accountability partners Uh, that's a, that's another myth. I think uh, can fall into that category too, of how helpful an accountability partner can be. But um, I, I love this. Um, We didn't talk about this before, but um, you, so in your book, you mentioned having three guys and that is exactly what, what we teach in our ministry. We teach the guys, the the foundation of uh, mirroring Jesus and what he did. He had Peter, James, and John, these three guys, he pulled closer to him, you know, and uh, had these three relationships. And it's like, yeah. You know, when I, for, first of all, when I heard God, you know, tell me to have three, like, like Jesus, I said, well, if Jesus had three, I need 35. I mean, come yeah. on, <laughs> but, but yeah. seriously though, why? So why did you suggest three and what, what does accountability look like?
1: Yeah. I, uh, so this is one of those things as well, where I was like, if I could rewrite or if there's a two dot would change some of what I wrote about here. Um, so three for me fell into place accidentally. Uh, the, the guys that, that walked with me in the early days, the first couple of years, um, they just kind of fell in place accidentally, um, that number. But what what came to bear on that is with three guys, and, and this is why I'm a fan of it, um, with three guys, inevitably, it feels like somebody's going to miss. Yeah, you know, somebody's sick, somebody's out of town for work, somebody's got a sick kid, you know, something comes up. So you've still got a, a, the consortium of three people still at the table. Um, mm. The second thing is you don't have the, um, when there's two guys, for instance, when there's just one other person, you know, it's easy to have the, the group think, it's easy to have your confirmation bias, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Mm, and so yeah. uh, the third person and the fourth person are you know better to break that up. And then the other thing that was really important to me with the three guys is they were they were different personalities that spoke to different parts of the process, even though they weren't they weren't counselors or coaches or pastors or they're regular guys, you know. Mm-hmm. But one guy was more heart-oriented. And so he was able to talk to me about things emotionally that a different guy was very head and tactical and you know achievement-oriented, and he was able to speak in a different way. And you know, mm-hmm. one guy was more physical. He would always give me a big bear hug when I showed up. And (laughs) I I needed that dynamic Mm. in those early days, especially, I still do, frankly. But in those early days, I needed just the different, and I needed somebody to, I needed to know when I showed up on Thursday morning that somebody was going to be sitting in front of me that loved me. Mm. And Mm -hmm. with three other guys, there was always somebody there. Yeah. Later in our process, you know, I, I was able to speak more and speak more into their lives and offer something back, you know, in the beginning, I'm just the taker, right? Like I, like you said, I'm just the broken one. So I, uh-huh. I need 35 of y'all, not just three, but yeah. And, and then later I was able to give back more and be more a part of the, the synergy of the group, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Um. But early days, it was just,
0: mm-hmm. I need help. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and 35 is too many. So yeah, but it's just um, the whole idea of I need more than Jesus needed. But that, um, yeah, with three guys, you have that opportunity to go deep and to be fully known, to have someone else, you know, know your story for, for him to be able to speak into your life. And uh, that's great. The three different personalities. Yeah, I love that. So, different sets of things that they had to offer that you were able to receive and benefit yeah. from. And you were there for them as well, right? Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: And the, the piece that I would add if I were going to do a 2.0 is, um, you know, for some people, uh, accountability kind of has the idea of like the bad cop in my life. Like it's the guy who's going to hold me to the line and you know, and that kind of stuff. And there's certainly some element of that, right? We all need some element of that. Um, but more uh, the value in the accountability relationship, in my opinion, is, is knowing that there's somebody who knows you and loves you is half of the battle. Right? And, and I say it this way a lot of times at workshops we'll never fully accept acceptance until we're fully known, mm. right? Cause until I'm fully known, I'll always think if you really knew, right. Right. Would you still accept me? So we'll never fully accept acceptance until we're fully known. The value in the accountability, isn't somebody holding my feet to the fire as much as it's somebody who knows me and loves me that I can count on.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's so valuable and so powerful. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was another um, non-negotiable that you mentioned. And uh, this, this one, this one can be pretty tricky, I think. Um, but I'd love for you to comment on restitution. Yeah. What does that look like?
1: Yeah. Restitution. So in our story, what, what restitution meant is uh, making Shelly more than whole, meaning I want to give her back a life that was better than she would have gotten with the old me. Hmm. Right. And so that shows up from everything in in the way that I love her to the way that I clean the kitchen, you know, so she doesn't have to, to the way that I care for her when she, you know, her father is struggling to what happens around our parenting. You know, it's across the board, just trying to keep in mind If I were going to, and and this gets a little bit, you know, theologically oriented, but I think of like the word shalom Mm -hmm. and the idea of, of peace and wholeness and everything being as it should be, like the way God designed it and imagined it to be. And Mm -hmm. if I can provide that in our relationship, that's restitution, Mm -hmm. not just giving her what she should have already gotten, but better than she could have imagined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: And and very individual to the woman too. And what uh, what she might need for sure. mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's um, just one last question I wanted to bring up too in part four of your book. And um, this is about trust building tactics. Could you tell us a little bit about the what you call the five minute phone call, the phone call from your wife? Uh, yeah. that uh, you open, open the door. Uh, can you discuss what that's like opening the yeah. door to that for your wife?
1: Yeah. So the five minute phone call rule for us. So one of the things that was true in my story was I would go dark. You know, I would, I would leave my phone in the truck when I was going in somewhere, you know, I, I would go dark. I would avoid her phone calls or I would call and do kind of like the rushed, Hey, just want to call and check in. Really busy. got to talk to you later. Bye. Just keep her off the case, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, So that was a really important rule for us where in the beginning we decided she has five, she calls, she can call anytime she wants, she texts anytime she wants. I have five minutes to respond. And in that five minute window, she, she's committed to, to fighting the worst case scenario thoughts. Hmm. She's just going to hold steady and wait to hear back from me. And then after five minutes, if she hadn't heard back, then, then she has permission to, like, let her mind think what is really going on and not mm-hmm. believe the best in me. Because in that five minutes, she's trying to believe the best in me. He's busy. He's in the bathroom. He's, you know, he's in a meeting, whatever. Yeah. So for us, it was really important for me to, to either respond immediately and answer her call or shoot her a text or call her back within that five-minute window. And and it did it did three things serve three purposes. I don't remember if I even wrote about that in there. Serve three purposes. One gave her reassurance. Right, mm-hmm. that, right. Second is also told her she's the most important thing in my life, second to the Lord of my recovery. Mm-hmm. She's the second most important thing. Nothing will come before again the Lord my recovery. Nothing else will come before her being important.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. the third is it 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 changed me making her the most important thing Mm. yeah does that make sense
0: you you changed you grew because of it
1: yeah when i sat down in a meeting i sat on a meeting with my boss and the vp and the president of our part of the organization when i was working in corporate and before the meeting started i said hey guys I'm expecting a really important call from my wife. And so if she calls, I'm going to step out and grab it. I apologize in advance. It, it was changing me to make her that much of a priority. And, and like, mm-hmm. it's hard to articulate, but up until that point, she wasn't, she was second or third or 15th fiddle,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially when I was in my addictive cycle, Mm -hmm. so the process of that five minute phone call rule really changed my heart to make sure that she is top of line first chair she's the priority
0: yeah yeah risking what other people think of you or how you look or whatever it is you know and putting all that aside i mean that's so important so uh, so much of of the process of healing you know for us but um, yeah, I could see how that would do that exact thing, changing you to where um, you 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 don't care what other people think, right? I mean, if that's they right. think, well, he's um, his wife wears the pants or whatever, you know, kind of screwed up right. thing that goes through people's minds and their judgments and d- different things. You know, we those are, that's exactly what we need to put aside and the things that uh, uh, would cause shame and and all of that. The cycle. Inside and of us.
1: Think like overarching. I mean, this is what one of the things we talk about in the office. The overarching theme of betrayal is I'll make sure I'm okay at your expense. That's the overarching theme of betrayal. The overarching mm. theme of redemption is I'll make sure you're okay at my expense. Mm. So if that costs me embarrassment in a business meeting, so be it. Mm. If that costs cost me time and money and face and reputation, I'm going to make sure you're okay at my expense. Like if you live out that banner, you'll find redemption relationally. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Incredible stuff. There's so much more in this book worthy of her trust. And of course you could find this just about anywhere that you could find books. I'm sure there's a Kindle version copy on Amazon electronic. Um, but uh i'd love to just uh, wrap up by talking a little bit about the resources um redemptive you you mentioned redemp- redemption you know and, and what yeah. you just said and uh so interestingly uh, your website is redemptiveliving.com and then there's worthy of trust is it .com as well
1: yeah worthy is um is uh, so we're putting on a worthy of trust workshop where we're going to do a deep dive for married guys on trust building, forgiveness, resentment, empathy, triggers, you know, the whole nine yards on that
0: guys can uh, get on worthy and look for those workshops. That's, um, uh, incredible that you're doing that, uh, incredible resource. And, and then you and your wife, um, have individually written some other material there's a devotional a uh, called summit the summit devotional and yep. that's for men right that they can go through uh, devotional for guys that struggle with unwanted sexual behavior and uh, Shelly wrote a book
1: yep that's rescued that's a workbook for wives and then the rebuild workbook is a new workbook we released at the end of last year that goes along with Worthy ever trust for men for wives for couples kind of a, kind of builds out more of, of takes those topics and kind of unpacks them a little bit more. And there's also um, when you buy the rebuild workbook, uh, there's also a link to a series of teaching videos that I did that goes with those. So the video element to it as well.
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And then there's another paid uh, program that people can find. Is that on redemptiveliving.com? The kitchen conversations that you, you told me about?
1: Yep, kitchencombos.com or on redemptiveliving.com, which uh, which is a video course. And uh, the way I described it, I said to you earlier, is kind of kind of soup to nuts, Pre- preparing for disclosure all the way to grief and process after the fact. And what does longer term recovery look like and redemption look like?
0: Yeah, and it's kitchen combos because it's literally you and your wife sitting at the kitchen table. Talk.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's how it started was conversations we were having in our kitchen. And then, uh, uh-huh. and then a lot of the videos are us sitting in the office after all. So,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's it. Incredible conversations. Yeah. To have the two of you together is a awesome resource. So, definitely, um, everyone listening needs to take advantage of these resources. I think there's something for everyone. Jason, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Really appreciate it. I think this is going to be a huge, huge benefit to our listeners.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.